and welcome back to the Why Hockey Periodical Podcast, where everything's made up and four goal leads don't matter. It's great to be back, Drew. <laughs> it is great to be back. Uh, what are we? Are we doing a hoedown now? <laughs> it's time for the Toronto Maple Leafs blow a lead Irish drinking song. Take it away, Laurel Hall. No, I'm kidding. Um, whose line is great, obviously, but uh, we can't do any of that because copyright gremlins will come for us. Um, by the way, in case you're wondering, that wasn't me tweeting from the Y Hockey account last night that uh, I've been told to not turn the game back on. I joke I tweet in AP style, which means proper punctuation, proper grammar, because you're in that bad habit. I wouldn't <laughs> say it's a bad habit, but it's a habit I have to be in for my job. And then uh, also, I should say that I did that too. I did that also on Saturday, and I'm looking at the, the NHL.com game tracker, and you see Radko Gudis scores a shorthanded goal, and I check the highlight, and I'm like, these expletives are going to do it again. And then they yeah. did. Yeah, it's just good time management. You know, if it's 5-1, uh, you, know, you know, instead of just staring at the TV all frustrated – waiting for them to come back. You go off, you get some chores done. You know, last night I had to get some work done so I could, you know, take today off to, to do, get some stuff taken care of. So it's like, you know, I'd rather use the next 25 minutes, get some stuff out of the way, come back for the third uh, and, and see if they can get it, you know, close or tie it. I think by so, the time you got it to 5-4, I'm just like, okay, we I know what's going to happen now. I know exactly what's going to happen here. And then it happened. Yeah. And once once Claude Giroux scores, you know it's a win, and you know, like you know, they're not gonna, they're not gonna waste that. I want to, I want to, a couple stories from that last night when when the uh, Panthers were down and losing, and I turned the game off. I watched a game theory with Bomani Jones, exceptionally good show. You should watch it if you haven't yet. His stuff on the Masters that I watched was absolutely hilarious. It's really really good. So that's one thing you should do. The second thing I should do is I don't usually talk about my family in this, but I have an uncle who lives down in a in the area and he goes to games he's gotten very into this team in recent years and so he's texting me from the game about how Leafs fans are very annoying that was very <laughs> funny that that it's good to see him get into the spirit you know mm-hmm. I don't know where Leafs fans are in relation to the most annoying groups of opposing fans in Sunrise but they're getting up finally. well the, the I mean I was even thinking we're get, are we getting to Rangers and Canadians territory particularly yeah, I- the Rangers I mean my top five is Habs fans Ranger fans um toronto fans uh florida fans um and then <laughs> very good I'll, gi- I'll give you a free space for five probably boston i think yeah. boston would go oh, up yeah there. let's do boston yeah I think- you know what i just since we haven't really had to deal with them this year they kind of fall out of your out of sight out of mind type yeah they had but the they're coming game. back strong and they had the one game the one game now. early in the season where panthers fans didn't even that's, want to watch the team so that's, that's the why. one I'm going to be honest with you, Boston's the one first-round matchup I don't want. Well, we'll talk about that as we get later into this podcast. I want to say one other story. Of course, people know I was on a Game Over with Andrew Berkshire uh, back when the Panthers played the Canadiens on New Year's Day. So I've gotten to know Andrew a little bit. He's obviously awesome. and I Because obviously he works with Steve Dangle. So I sent him a DM last night. I think it was still 5-4 at that point, And I told him, say, please text Steve that this is clearly – from a Panthers perspective, this is the Panthers. It's not the Leafs. I don't care if the Leafs are blowing leads. I know they do that, but this one was the Panthers. Like this was not Toronto. They do this to everybody now. And I, um, he's like, good luck convincing him of that. And I, and I said, I will go on Steve Dangle's podcast or on his videos. I don't care. I will convince him. This was a Panthers thing. I, I'm, I think it's a little bit of 50, 50, you know, like 
Florida won that. Florida also lost that a, a couple times. You know, Toronto did the same thing. They made amazing plays that could win and should win games, and then they made plays that are fatal flaws that just are backbreakers. Florida did the same thing. They started off the other way, though. <laughs> they, they had the backbreaking goals. I mean, it's hard to start a period. Uh, you know, they had a pretty grinding first period, um, and it really felt like a road game for Florida in that first period as far as where the ice was tilted. So, to, so you know, you wanted to see them come out strong in that second, and they go the other way. And, of course, what happens is Uyghur happens, then Bobrovsky, you know, the dam breaks finally. And then, uh, you know, he can't get it back. When Bobrovsky can't get it back, all the other D start going into hero mode. So Forsling, Uyghur go into hero mode. And then it's just compounding interest from there. Uh, and then it just takes till, you know, the Fords get one shot in the net, you know, and they get a little bit of steam, a couple shifts in a row where they get some momentum and maybe, uh, you know, draw a penalty, get a power play goal, and they build off that. Uh, and then it's like, okay, we have the best offense historically in recent memory, so we'll just win. And they have some guys who, when they're convinced of something, are able to get this group, this particular group of guys, to just turn it on and flip a switch in a, in a single, like, 30-minute span. It seems that's like maybe forty minutes, two periods is like the best they can they can do. But uh, it's it's pretty incredible what they can do when they can when they can do it. In the playoffs, we'll see if they can do it. Andrew Burnett, Claude Giroux, I think some of the guys are now being a little more vocal about this is fun and everything, but uh, this should be the last one. I, I saw Mackenzie Weger even said it, and he said it on the broadcast to Jess Blaylock. And I, when Uyghur's saying it, I think everybody realizes. Like, the reaction to that from the players and Andrew Brunette was like, holy crap, guys, can we not do this anymore? <laughs> I think it was, like, exasperated. Yeah. I don't want to even say it was exasperated disbelief because that doesn't feel like the accurate term. It's more like, how did we just do that? And please, can we never have to go through that again? I just touched the gates of yeah. heaven. I don't want to I do mean, that again. It, it was definitely a playoff game in the fact that it's multiple games in one. Like, that's what your body feels like mentally and physically when you're done. I mean, this is just from what people say. You know, playoff games are like, I've never played one. But, uh, you know, so it, that's how these kind of sounded after this. Like, this was attrition. This was this was a real this was a real herder. Uh, and, you know, I'm sure Toronto <laughs> feels the same way. I know their fans are doing some epic massaging of their um, whatever they think with. Well, Sheldon, and... Keefe, well, Sheldon Keefe did that. And it was, it was <laughs> interesting to me, the reaction of these teams. I want to get to all these games with Sherratt and, and Giroux and talking about the Panthers in a second. But obviously yeah. this game's front of mind. But the way that Sheldon Keefe talked about it was really interesting to me. Because Sheldon Keefe knows. Everybody surrounding the Leafs knows. You can't not hear what people are saying, particularly when you know this team's got a penchant for blowing leads. Even if yeah. you're against a team that comes back from anything, you, you know because that is in your mind. And 
the fact that he went positive rather than tearing into his team is an interesting psychological experiment in some ways. Like, what is the right way to motivate a team that is really, really, really good? This Leafs team is great, even well, if they're still the Toronto Maple Leafs. But to be honest with you, there's no other choice. I mean, this is a team with TikTok on their helmets. I mean, they're not, you know, like, they're soft. Let's be honest with you, so, you know, as far as when it comes to the ghost of their past and losing games and falling apart, that's the only thing that's really stopping them is the commitment to fight through that and to play hard defense and to, you know, even as the goals are feeling the net and tr Florida's making that comeback to just stop them one short. And you know what was interesting, you know, me? I thought in the first game that these two teams played, that Toronto played a really good game defensively. And they shut the Panthers down in transition. And I think a couple players said it, like Toronto wanted that game more than Florida did. Yeah. And then tonight, they do a lot of that in the first 25 minutes of the game. And then the dam bursts, and they can't stop it. And against yeah. New Jersey, who is absolutely terrible and can't stop a beach ball, I get it. But the Leafs, even with their history in the back of their head, like, that's a team that should have known at some point, we got to put a fork in this. And they yeah. did not know how to put a fork in it. And to me, that, I don't know what that means for the playoffs. I really have it, no idea. It helps idea. that the goal, I mean, it's kind of through the looking glass. Like, you know, the the Florida's kind of the same team, but they're the better end of it, as in they come back, they don't collapse. And, you know, no, like, they'll just get. very quickly in about four-minute stretches, but it doesn't phase <laughs> no. Yeah, but not like, you know, I'm saying, you know, as the sto the story arc through the game. Like, they yes, don't, yes, you're right. they, they more so get blown out and don't, you know, sometimes they come back and sometimes they don't. But, um, you know, for the Leafs, it always feels like the, the narrative is they don't come back. They lose their leads. And for Florida, that's not the case. Uh, and, but they also have a little better goaltending. I mean, the Bobrovsky is definitely a, when he's on his game is the trump card between the two teams. I feel, uh, even when Campbell's on his game, whatever you value that as, I don't think it compares to Bobrovsky. Here's what's and, interesting about, you know, Knights, against the Panthers. Yes. And I want, I will get to the goaltending in a second. Here's what's interesting yeah. about, um, the Leafs that I find fascinating. And also it comes into teams playing against Florida. Like, and you'll hear this a lot, and I believe it. Like, you could watch goalies have really, really great games against the Panthers, and they still give up four, and you feel like that's just the volume. At some point, you're going to burst because the pressure's just too much. And I think the yeah. games against Ottawa, where Anton Forsberg played out of his mind in two games, and he still gave up seven goals, and you're just like, there's nothing you can do. The Panthers put too much pressure. Micah McCurdy, one of our friends, and somebody who you should be following if you don't, posts his charts. Uh, and he posted the chart of Panthers offense. In, it's like plus 27 compared to league average. And he's like, they're not terrible at any one thing, but their offensive volume is so insane. And like, it's a great distilled distillation of like what this team is. Like just at some point, you're not going to stop them because they keep coming at you. And there is no way you can stop that even if you're at your absolute best game. And unless you know how to truly drain this team of its life offensively, which very few teams have been able to do, you're, you're not stopping that. And it was funny how I thought, you know, Shalgren played pretty decently. 
you know, he gave up a terrible goal on that third. That was awful. That's worse than anything Bobrovsky gave up, I will say. But you think about that, and then he gets hurt, and you're just going... At that point when he got hurt and Campbell had to come in, and you know the Leafs played a draining game the night before against Tampa and played really well and won, you start going that this is... You could, you know, where is that moment where you know this is going to end a certain way? And I don't think I saw it immediately when Shalgren got hurt, and then when it was 5-4, I'm like, I know, you know where this is going. It's just one of those things where... This team is so unique and so ridiculous in what it does. I almost, I almost get reminded of, this is going to be a weird reference, but when Martin Tyler called 10 years ago, Jesus, Sergio Aguero's winner against QPR <laughs> to win the Premier League, his first call was, I'll swear you'll never see anything like this again. And I, that's my first thought. Like, that you're never going to see anything like this again. Well, oh, again a it's a really famous call, but it's what I thought of when I'm watching that, like, we're never going to see this again. This is supremely ridiculous in such a unique way that I, you're never going to see it again. I, I, yeah. I mean, I've lived through the Flyers coming back 0-3 against the Bruins. That, that's uh, true. I mean, like, I've we, seen, we've all seen that. We've seen, so. we've seen all the Leafs collapses. We've seen the team, this team come back from some pretty crazy leads. This one is definitely up there. Um, you know, a lot of people in attendance were saying, you know, this is, you know, up there with the 20 round shootout or whatever. Yeah. As far as like a bad score in the winter and whatever. as far as like the energy in the building and, and things like I that, think the energy got up in the building because it always does when there are some amount of visiting fans there. And with the Leafs, you know, they show up and they're going to be annoying. I've always said that, you know, if you're a Panthers fan, then you must really love being a cynical jerk because when the visiting fans <laughs> yeah. show up to FLA Live Arena, it's all you got. You get much more energy out of it. Like I've been there when they've played the Rangers. You know, we've we've been to those games, and you get that energy up because you want to see those people go home sad. It, it is a common emotion, and it is very common in that building. And you watch it, and the Panthers fans are like. You know, you can see it at like five, three, five, four. The Panthers fans are starting to get really noisy, and the Leafs fans are getting quiet, and you could feel it, right? And then when they score to make it six, five, you didn't yeah. see the camera shots of the Leafs fans, but you're just like, you, you, you were like, you want to be in that building because it's like that is the emotion of joy that you can that is very unique to Panthers fandom that I don't think other fans, if you're a fan of a team where it's all your fans in the building. You don't get that because you don't see that in your building very often. It's a really, really odd but unique and fun set of emotions that really only, like, I guess, Florida and Arizona fans maybe have. Maybe if you're in California, you see it too, but it's a very unique thing. And let's let's focus on the like the games and the teams because we now have a big, sam- a big enough sample size to talk about these players. I want to start, I guess... First of all, maybe Jonathan Huberto had his five-point game specifically to troll the <laughs> Toronto media who said he shouldn't be an MVP candidate. Whatever well, I think of it should be or not. And I it's funny because the first, the first intermission is TSN talking about how on Monday did Matthews in that one game against Tampa Bay win the Hart Trophy or not. And now they're trying to say, like, oh, Huberto's not in it because of one game and blah, blah, blah. But they're trying to give the trophy to Matthews over one game. Listen, it's Austin hilarious. Matthews is amazing. I love watching him play. But... Yeah, he's the second best center, maybe, behind Barkov. But, you know. 
I, that's another game where I wonder, you know, part of me wonders, you know, how I know all athletes have this to some degree. You know, the Michael Jordan, I'm going to make up my motivation to kill you on any specific night, even if the motivation's small. You know, it's hockey players. We don't get a chance to hear those motivations very often. But I wonder if Sasha Barkoff and Jonathan Hubert are like, it's time to prove something tonight, boys. We got to prove something when they're in the building. I mean, there has to be something said to Barkov as captain being able to orchestrate these comebacks with a lot of different, you know, leadership. I mean, Huberto's a very vocal leader. Uh, you know, you have Giroux coming into the room. You have Uyghur, who's a very strong personality. Ekblad is there. Yo, Hornquist is there. I mean, there's a Joe Thornton, and you know, every year you kind of add more. Um, and this, he's been able to balance all of that. You know, obviously not him alone, but you know, this core has been able to play with a lot of different veteran leadership and come out with their own voice and put some records on the record book whether it's franchise records whether it's league records and like their offensive output this year and i mean and they're doing it with bringing in people their own age who who are you know want top six minutes want to play and there's you know nine of them and they all want top six minutes and you know they're all friendly competitive with each other and it, and it works out and that that has to be a credit to Hubert Ho and Barkov and Ekblad. I mean, it just has to be. Um, because whenever they have one bad game or whenever a lot of captains in this league go through, you know, a half season stretch or or whatever and things aren't going well, it always comes back to their leadership. So, you know, when we maybe in the, those times in the future, hopefully we'll look back and be like, oh yeah. He has been able to lead a turnaround and be clutch in the third period and win games scoring, win games setting up players, win games just on face-off dots. You know, him, Giroux, Huberto, a lot of people. And and that's something that we should all remember. We should remember also, I think, that th th you go through a lot when you've been a Florida Panther for as long as those two have. They have seen some things, you know. Yeah, I, I go back to, you know, you were you don't know man you weren't there uh, they, they've seen some things so i think all of that when you combine not only the fact that in the past they obviously also play with yarmir yager too and that obviously helps like right. yager helped you know bring claude Giroux to being claude Giroux, and he helped make barkoff and uberto who they are which is an interesting through line but when you think about what those two have seen all the coaches they've been through all the front office turmoil they've seen i think in many ways for them perhaps it's just easier on them now like there is nothing else we got to think about other than just doing this there isn't you know there isn't like oh we've got to do this all ourselves because we're getting help from none of you you know there isn't oh there's this front office turmoil that you can easily see seeping down to the ice and tom rose the head coach of the gm at the same time it's none of that now so all of those lessons they've learned you know from those moments in the past have made them better now and 
even in the first year under Quenville, when that team stunk in a lot of ways, they still found ways to come back and from 4 nothing down. They did it twice in like a span of seven, eight days. And this year they did it in a span of four. I think some of it comes down to, obviously, as you say, you know, that leadership is there. But they've learned how to lead with each other. And they've learned how to lead because of their unique experiences that can only happen when you're a member of the Florida Panthers and you've seen everything you could possibly see in your tenure here, right? And they've come out the other side as just truly incredible hockey players because of it. And they always were. I don't think anybody before this season could have doubted that Barkoff and Huberto were generational type talents. But like, again, even last year, Barkoff missed time and the Panthers didn't miss a beat. They lost Ekblad to that gruesome injury and they still performed well above their heads. This year, Barkoff missed six weeks and they still ticked on completely. Like, it's them and the Avs who have had, and the Penguins in the past and some this year too, really, really good teams. The mark of those good teams are how do you respond when these really good players are out of the lineup? Even if you're quote-unquote used to it, how do you deal with such things? How do yeah. you overcome tread such water. things? How do you tread water? And those and those teams, Colorado's extremely good at that, and the Panthers have become extremely good at that too. And it is a, it is a credit to what is there from those players that has, you know, again, you learn all those lessons, you build up that scar tissue. Like, they haven't built up playoff scar tissue, which I guess is a different thing, but the scar tissue from all that they've dealt with as Florida Panthers is kind of interesting to see now as you play it forward to this. Yeah, I mean, they have enough scar tissue, I think, for the playoffs by now. I mean... Well, one would hope so. And, yeah, I mean... For the you, this team comes back. They're competitive. Just you know, a couple, a couple losses in the playoffs is enough, I think. But you know, hope what hopefully that translates into is a little more focus um, at the start of periods, at the start of games, uh, a little more, you know, playing. They don't have to stop being offensive. They don't have to change who they are or what they do, you know, and how they score goals. But they just need to be a little better with the puck management. They just need to, you know, tidy up their end a little more. As far as focus, you know, whether that's making sure they get clears. You saw that a lot last night. Failures to clear just, you know, led to long shifts, which lead to mental breakdowns. Like Weaker going behind the net instead of a front of the net, leaving a passing lane open so the guy can hit back door to where Weaker just left. You know, those types of things happen after long shifts because, you know, three, I, I can't remember who they were now, but two or three times the Panthers failed to get a clear. Um, I think they have the puck on their also, stick. Yeah, you're right. But I think some of it also is just the idea that is maybe imbued in Mackenzie Weger and Forsling. And if you're seeing it a little with Ben Sherratt too, like he has been a Panther for two weeks and this is what's happening. At times, I think these guys, again, they have an incredible amount of talent and they know if they get it to the forwards, they could do something. But sometimes you wonder, okay, guys, let's settle this down a bit. You don't have to play hero ball here. Maybe that's not the best idea. And Mackenzie yeah. Weger is proof positive of that. We love Mackenzie Weger. You know, he's one of our own, so to speak. But there are times when he tries to play hero ball, 
And that's when the Panthers get in trouble. It got him in trouble in the playoffs. It's getting him in trouble in some of these games. You just have to simplify it a little bit. And I think that that's something that Andrew Burnett and Ulf Samuelson, they got to work on. Like, how do we keep our heads in a situation where everything is just chaotic and everything is going at you a thousand miles an hour? How can we slow that down just a little bit? And if we do, maybe we don't give up some of those goals. Because we saw that against New Jersey. We saw that against, you know, in all of these games, to some respect, like, there's that quick burst where the Panthers just lose their heads and they're giving up two or three goals. Even against Montreal, they did it. They did it against Buffalo in the third period. You know, at times you're just like, can you guys settle down a little bit? I know you have the offense. I know you believe in yourself. I know Ryan Lombard can say whatever he wants to say on the bench that'll motivate everybody because he's the new team mascot in a good way. But at some point, that stuff's not going to work anymore. And I think last night, Either it is a full realization of nothing we have said here matters and they're just going to do this anyway and they'll either come back or they don't. Or the team now fully internalizes, we can't do this four-goal crap every night. We have to find a way to fix this. I hope it's the latter. Yeah, and I mean, my desire is for them to win 7-0. I mean, that's my desire. And I think that's possible with this team. And, and, And all it is is knowing like when it start the ice starts to get tilted all you have to do is focus and and play that little defensive hockey get a couple more whistles you know slow down the game and then when you see the opportunity to pounce stretch it and, and you know get back to your style of game you turn it up then and you go for it you know or you know you get that goal ahead and then you try to go on the accelerator um you know or I think what they constantly do is try to not try to, but they sleepwalk through parts of the game because they're either just, they're not always into it and they're always just assuming they can turn it on or they're when they're not sleepwalking through the game, they're always four in the picture, always going a hundred percent out. There has to be, they have to find the ability to tread water instead of taking a shift off either, or so not, you're, you know, you're, not showing up for the game. So either time. you decide to, you know, tread water and be all right. Just, just wade, slow down. Well, you, I don't think, have no, to be, I, you don't have to be Katie Ledecky and you don't have to drown. No, but I mean, it's just, it, it, yeah. I mean, playoff hockey, you're going to have, you're going to play multiple different teams with multiple different styles who are all going to do the same do multiple different things, but ultimately do the same thing, which is slow you down at both of the blue lines, slow your transition down, catch your defense out. All they have to do is tread water themselves in the defensive zone and buy their times for the counterattack. And then just, you know, they're a playoff team, a team like Tampa, a team like Boston, a team like Toronto. The best teams right now are in our division, which means we have to play both of them, two of them to get out, to get even to the Eastern Conference Final, let alone win a cup. So you, you're going to have to be able to play, you know, at five or six out of ten pace. You're going to have to play a chippy game. You're going to have to play games with lots of whistles, and you're going to have to be good on the penalty kill. You're going to have to be good on the power play. Penalty kill is about always focusing. It's about doing everything and being disciplined and strict. 
and they can still get goals and, and go for chances and everything. But when they're set up in the diamond or whatever, you know, they're, when they're set up in, in zone, they have to be committed to the system and they have to be, you know, hard out, hard back to the net, you know, keep, keep their lanes tight, keep their sticks on the ice. And when they get the puck, get it out. Uh, a lot of the times they're not committed to just getting out the puck, getting off the ice and living to see another shift. They, they always try to do it in that shift before they get off the ice. And they have they know they have the depth. When they get behind, they start trusting their teammates. Like, we can just have a good shift, keep momentum, and hand the baton to the next guys, and they can go get a goal too. And that's what they have to do from the beginning of just, you know, we're just going to wear down the teams. We're just going to hit them with volume. But you know, it, that all starts from, you know, being absolutely determined to be shut down, give up nothing in the defensive zone. It's interesting how you say that because I think we're seeing it with their penalty kill a little bit, and I think we saw it with the five-forward power play, which I think now is the time to talk about it. I think this team sometimes, while you're right about that focus, I think also at times that lack of focus means not only do they break down in some of their assignments and they don't keep their discipline. I've always talked about how this team is extremely good when it's in motion, but when you get them to stand still, they're not very good at that, which is why I think they're struggling on the penalty kill and why when they get the puck out and they fail to get the puck out, you can see those cycles like Toronto did last night. I think the other thing that this team kind of struggles with is, as we say, I think at times when they are really under the cosh, they don't buckle down in the way that other teams would buckle down, I think their instinctive fight-or-flight reaction is is doing a little too much, you know? And I think that you can see it defensively, particularly on the penalty kill. We've seen it a lot. It looks like they're going to get out of a situation, then they just take it a step too far, and there's a gap that's exploited. Toronto's power play is really good at that. It's the best in the league for a reason. And I think also on the power play with five forwards, and why the power play struggled at times this season. I think they try to do a little too much, a little too perfect. And when they keep it simple, they are almost unstoppable. And that is, again, I think if they can get to the start and really do trust themselves from that moment the game starts and not put themselves behind an eight ball in that way, you can keep it simpler and through their simple game because they have more skill, they have more speed, and their system is better, then they can just dominate. But then there are times when they have that one little moment off and then they start doing too much. It's frustrating frustrating to me that, like, you know, at, at some point the team has to understand, like, you know, the centers, the wingers don't have to always jump early from the zone to score goals. Like... They, they they can turn it down to to ninety percent of the time fleeing the zone or you know the far, the weak side winger the weak side defenseman excuse me is always jumping Brendan Montour is always jumping and then when he doesn't get the puck he does a lazy loop all the way to the outside and that's why the middle's always so vulnerable. You saw I would it just right prefer him to like gaps, right yeah like, just you jump see that defenseman gap I'm sorry jump. for interrupting but uh you know that gap we see at times is too big yeah. And it's because, like, you know, the focus to, like, instead of Montour, instead of pivoting the right way, 
and, and keeping and holding towards the center. He'll just do a loop towards the boards and take himself further out of the play and, and come back wider in the zone, giving up that middle. And, you know, this is the NHL. And when we get into the playoffs, it'll be the NHL playoffs. It'll be the, you know, the pinnacle of hockey. Teams are looking to take advantage of that. You, you know, it's it's teams are looking to take advantage of Florida's D jumping the zone. So you have to know when you can jump and when you can't. You know, Montour shouldn't be jumping every time. He should know, I don't have to jump. I can just come up with the play. No one's saying he has to stay at home, but he doesn't have to be right there two feet behind the winger on every breakout. Do you notice that Ben Sherratt's kind of doing a little of that too? And yeah, I mean, everybody's doing it. It's well, coach. Well, Steve Gouda says. And maybe that's because it's that, you know, that thing we saw last year when Aaron Ekblad was out of the lineup and everybody tried to take a little bit of what he does and it didn't work because everybody then did a little too much. And it makes maybe sense when you're down 5-1, 5-2, and you, the game's already a circus and you're going, you know. That, yeah, it makes sense. But, you know... Maybe when in the you know when you when you're going through you know different parts of the game you don't have to do that uh, because you know that's what happens. It, people are t- t- bad talking a five you know forward power play, but you know having Weegar out there is like having five forwards out there with the way he handles the puck and the way he's nonchalant about his feet positioning his body positioning and what he's doing with the puck in re- respect of to the opposition pressure. Sometimes he's just so, po- you know, he's overpoised, he's over calm with the puck. And he doesn't realize it's just better to, you know, it's a five on four. It's better to dump this puck off to the open guy, move away from the pressure, you know, take pressure away from him and get the puck back. Cause it's coming back to you. And instead he'll, he'll play with it or you know he doesn't understand that since he's flat-footed you know the risks are so much more of what he's doing or you know sometimes he's getting low because he's not understanding that there's no one covering for the other defenseman that's low in the zone and if he just realized oh like yeah i shouldn't be doing that like because you know it's late in the game it happens too late but you know the yeah. other thing that I've noticed? Have you Like last night on the Marner shorthanded goal, I saw this with Uyghur. I think I saw it in a couple of other goals they've given up recently. It looks like the situation's taken care of, and then there's a split second where Uyghur isn't reacting to what he's seeing. And on that goal from Marner last night, there's a split second. I don't think he realizes Marner's about to go from 1 to 100 really quick, and he just doesn't get to the angle. He doesn't try to even, you know, cut him off with the body or – or his stick, and then Marner just gets right by him. And that's one of those things, I think, with Uyghur. And we're picking on him because, like, it's just the thing we need, we're need. we seeing. And, again, we love Mackenzie Uyghur. And it, but that is the weakness player, of the, the Florida of defense. Game. Yes, it's exactly. Yeah, it's, it's his Montour, weakness is what the weakness of this team is and what teams will exploit. Yeah, it's Ekblad at times. I mean, Ekblad also has times with – I mean, he's very good at keeping pucks in at the blue line and everything, but sometimes, especially – on the power play, he'll get a little too risky with it. And it's just, you know, just dump it off. 
I mean, you know, just live to fight another day. Just release the pressure into open space where we can maintain possession. Because if you maintain possession, that's all that matters. When the Panthers have the puck, or, it is really yeah. hard to keep them away from it. It's just that what happens is they make that one mistake, that little opening, and then they give it away. That's when things can start going badly. Yeah, and, and I don't want to just sit here and talk all bad about them because they're getting better at it. But, the pro you know, the, there's, you know, just... Again, Tampa exploited they, they have that to in the find... playoffs last year. I think Toronto would do it if they played them. Boston would certainly do it. You know they have the guys who can do that. I also want to talk just about positives. We're going to get to some other stuff, too. We're going to talk about Keith Yandel. It's why hockey. We're going to get oh, to that. God. But I want to talk... I know. Let's talk about Claude Giroux and how he fits in with this team. He's getting plenty of assists. He got his goal last night. You know, we're seeing him in these little face-off plays that are, again, face-offs are what they are, but the way the Panthers can use him in face-off situations is an extra weapon. I want to ask you, obviously, as the biggest Claude Giroux fan there is, or one of them, what do you think is the best combination with him on the ice? Because we've seen them try it with Barkoff and Verhage. We've seen them... I mean, when Lomberg was hot, they tried that. Now it's with him and the winger with Sam Bennett. We've seen them try him at center. What do you think is the ideal place for him right now? Because they're trying to figure it out and they're experimenting, and I don't think anyone knows what the answer to that is yet. It's working right now, but when it's game one, what do you think the, the right answer is for him and where he should play? Personally, I think the right answer is him mo until – until he really goes on like a heater heater uh, in the playoffs or something in a series or, you know, but I think his, the versatility is what you want him. And you basically, you know, 60, 40, 60% with Barkov, 40% with Huberto. And you keep the center left wing pairs of Verhage, Barkov, um, Huberto, Bennett. Huberto, Bennett together. Uh, and you do the same with Reinhardt and Lundell. You keep those two together. Um, those, I think that's always the building blocks they should start with and go back to. That doesn't mean they can't do a Huberto Barkov Giroux line or Giroux Huberto Lundell line or something like they that. Did, and they point. did Huberto Duclair and Barkov by the end of last yeah. night, which we know is like their it's it's not the trump card line basically, but it is a line that they'll go to when they're like, okay, we're in this desperate place, and it feels like that is their X factor line. Like when they need to unleash it, they will unleash it. And they've done yeah. Huberto Barkov Giroux too, but I think Uber, I think 11, 16, 10 is that line they go to when they really need something and they go try to, you know, put yeah, that Yeah, they just have the that edge. familiarity, but And and I noticed how in recent games they went back to uh, Barkoff for Hagee Duclair, which obviously was great last year, but we haven't seen it a lot this year. I, I obviously I really like that line. I think it works really well. We know we know it does. It's just interesting to me how we've seen them juggle. And obviously, when you come from the Quenville school of lines don't matter, you know they can put everything in the yeah. blender and they just try to figure it out. But it's very interesting how it doesn't seem like they want to touch Reinhardt Lundell and Marchman. And I understand that yeah. that line's got, obviously, incredible potential and great chemistry. It's just interesting how the top six can just, like, flip-flop around a little bit. But that line doesn't seem like one they want to really touch. And it's, it's interesting to me. And, I, obviously, I think that line's really good. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But I just find that interesting that they're much more willing to change the top six. But that line of 
of of it makes, 15 and 17 it doesn't get moved around very much it makes total sense to me i mean first of all you have marchment there who is somebody who's going to do a lot of the hard work uh which just helps out reinhardt and liddell so much uh but also is you know uh, i hate saying this because it's what year is it 2022 but yeah. you know he he does provide a little bit of protection and you know keep things away from Lundell on the ice uh which is just helpful because he is just in a, a magnet for it himself um and in scrums and stuff he always cuts in front of Lundell and, and grabs people and stuff like that so that's always helpful can i can i say that sam reinhardt basically becoming what patrick hornquist was in terms of being this, you know, really annoying net front presence is is a really nice development. I knew he had it in this game, obviously, but he's really good yeah. at that. I mean, he, well, he's, I don't want to say he is like a Giroux light or something like that, but in the same way that Giroux is, a, is like the gr- good functional foil to Barkov, that's what Reinhardt is to Lundell. Um, you know, he's a guy who can do those like, giving goes where the end of the giving go is Reinhardt or Lindell going to the net for a deflection play and they're opposite handed. So it helps with the face offs and, and playing catching, catch and receive like, you know, pass the uh, pass and catch like that. And, uh, you know, I think for, for me, I, I wouldn't want to change, change too much about that. You know, to me, Duclair and Giroux are the top six sniping options, or you know the you know Duclair is that type's top six sniping option, uh, who has a lot of speed and just power um, that the other. Did you not guys find it funny have. last night that when Duclair was almost in on a breakaway, all Mark Giordano could do was just tear his jersey off? Yeah. Like that was a really really funny play. I'm like Mark Giordano, obviously, he's been around the block a bit. I don't think I've ever seen a like a soccer yellow card type jersey pull to stop yeah. a play from happening. Yeah, so I mean, for me, it's it, you got Giroud to kind of complete the piece, so you didn't have to do all of that mixing of you know involving too much blendering of the bottom six or you know the third line into the top six. Now you can have it's not a div, you know a divide. But you kind of have, you know, your your duo set, and you know, that means like the third line's kind of set. Uh, well, not always because I'm sure at some points they might move, you know, Hornquist up or something like that. Uh, you know, who knows? But um, it's good to have it's Lundell more. Back. Yeah, it's good to have Lundell oh, back. God. It's it's so good just because it it just makes the fourth line a lot better. And it keeps the top six, you know, from being too to spread thin. They don't have to overexpose the top six. Yeah. And, yeah, so, I mean, it's going to be really great when they get Ekblad back because the biggest issue with their rosters and the personnel and, and Burnett's biggest challenge is where do they put Uyghur? Is he a lefty with, um, you know, somebody? Is he a right D with Forsling? You know, how are, how are they going to use him? Um, because it, it, that pretty much dictates all the other pairings, and I would like to see some more Carlson right I, now. I do too. I'd like to like we've seen what Robert Haig is. I know why he's in the lineup, and, and he's I doing pretty. He's doing his he's job been well. Fine. There's yeah. nothing wrong with Robert Haig. I think that I want to see 
a little bit of a different again and a lot of what they're playing now other than a handful of games is against bad teams so you can afford to experiment i want to i want to i want to see carlson Weger. i want to see uh i'd like to see Sherratt and montour because i think there actually could be a little more balance in that pair if you get ben Sherratt yeah. to hold it off a little bit more than he has i'd i'd that that's where I was kind of going with it too. Is I think you kind of have to get Sherat kind of more stabled instead of moving him around and having him be the kind of Giroud of the defense. He's not the plug that fixes every hole. You got him to be a specific tool, and you know you got him to kind of be that you know somebody who can settle Montour down, play twenty minutes, and and you know not. Have we even seen Sherat play with Forsling yet? Because I don't think we have. No, because they're both lefties. I mean, that's what that's what the problem is right now. You kind of have Uyghur on the right side, but when they have Uyghur on the right side, they always play him with Forsling, which is good for Forsling, but I think bad for Uyghur makes him do a I little too much. I can agree with that because when Uyghur plays with Forsling, you're seeing Gus Forsling just hammer everything at the net now. <laughs> like, he feels like yeah. he's free. There's no shackles on me anymore. And Mackenzie Uyghur's on the other side you know, having that Darlene moment, and you're just like, okay, it, yeah. it works for, I get why they do it, I know why it works, I understand why the coaches would want to go to it, it's just, it's an interesting thing, and I, I think, again, there is some time to experiment, you now have an eight-point lead over Toronto, unless they really fall apart, that's probably not going to get lost, the President's yeah. Trophy is irrelevant to me, I don't care if they win it or not, the fact that they're going to, and they now have a six-point lead over Carolina, they're in pretty good shape when it comes to winning the East, so they can, again, afford to take a little risk in terms of how they manage that decor. And I do want to see Lucas Carlson come back in. Because, I, I, again, I don't think Lucas Carlson's been bad this year. I really liked his game. Well, I think you have to get – asking him to do. You have to get at least – they have eight, eight NHLD, nine with Ekblad. You have to get all eight of them to play some games before the end of the year. Yeah, I think that I they're going to – whether that's just Lindbaum one game, you know, Carlson a couple of, games. What did you think? Hey, we haven't really talked about was, Terry Lindbaum. He was fine. I mean, I think he's he's physical. He's as advertised. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, he's a good option if someone gets hurt. I don't. I think to me, you know, him and Carlson are the extra guys out. I, I feel like that's what they're going to go with. Um, I would probably have Carlson in instead of. Hag, well, unless and you know for game one and and I try to lean with skill and see what happens, but um, we'll see. You know, it depends on the team they play. And right now, yeah. if the playoffs open today, and this is obviously irrelevant because I hate I we hate saying this, but they play Washington. And listen, if you have to play anybody in the East, you'd want to play the Capitals because you know what they do in the playoffs. They are a team that has distinct weaknesses. Obviously, I think long-term Panthers fans are going to be like, oh, Southeast Division stuff and get worried yeah. about that. But the Capitals have, obviously, weaknesses you can exploit. You know, they are not playing well right now, but they go through stretches where they look like world beaters and they look like junk. If you're playing anybody, you'd air quotes want to play the Capitals, but I'm not entirely sure, like, it's a, it's a matchup. To me, and what you said earlier about playing Boston – I don't want to play any of the teams in the Atlantic. I think they're all really good, and they're all going to give the Panthers trouble for different reasons. But a really healthy Boston team can do to the Panthers 
what very few other teams can, and they can turn that game into a sludgefest. And yeah. I'm not sure the Panthers, against a specific brand of sludgefest, are capable of doing what they can do in a seven-game series. Now, they will get a chance to run and gun at some points, and Boston will not be able to keep up with that. But that team knows how to sludge it up. They know how to crowd the neutral zone. They know how to clamp down when they have to. And they know how to get you to be static. And that's when the Panthers struggle. And they have guys on the other end of the ice who can punish you in that situation. And it's not just, you know, Bergeron and Marchand and, and Pasternak. They have other guys who can do that. And so, yeah, I don't really want to see Boston in the first round because I think they have the stylistic advantage to do that. If they played Toronto, would all games look like that 7-6 monstrosity? Probably not. But can the Panthers run on the Leafs? Sure can. And if they played Tampa, they'd be definitely up for Tampa because it's the Lightning, even if Tampa yeah. knows what they need to do. I just think – and I'm, I'm leaning towards Boston being the trickiest matchup because Boston can so distinctly sludge it up in a way that I don't think Tampa can and I certainly don't think Toronto can over a second. And series. no team has ended Florida's season more than Boston. You are correct. You it's are usually, correct. You know, for how many years in a row it was like when Boston came to town in the spring and we didn't get pick up two points against them, our season our... – You're absolutely right about weird late season games against Boston. We haven't seen in the playoffs. But uh, I remember, what was it, seven years ago now? Jesus. They go to Boston, tail end of the season. They're in the playoff race, but they're, you know, on the verge of falling out. They lose to Boston. They gave up a goal with like less than a minute to go, and then they're out. But then a week later, Boston comes to Sunrise, and the Panthers eliminate them. There might have been a game a couple years ago. It was a weather-delayed game where the Panthers go into Boston. It's the last game of the season, and the Panthers win, and they cost the Bruins like a seed or something. There's always something weird about Panthers-Bruins late season games. You're right. I think that there's... You know, no matchup is good, but there are opportunities for the Panthers if they get a slightly better one. And Washington would be kind of favorable. Could the Capitals keep up with the Panthers? I'm not entirely sure. Obviously, I think Toronto and Tampa could, but we'll have to see. I mean, it's one of those things where I don't care where it ends. Like, it's going to be difficult no matter what. But now that they have an eight-point lead on Toronto and they have a six-point lead on Carolina... I think unless they truly collapse, which I guess is possible if they keep making themselves into four-goal deficits, <laughs> I think they've probably got first in the East pretty much done. But you don't want to say anything for sure because I can't say anything for sure, but it looks like first in the East might be theirs. Right. Yeah. I I think everything's pretty locked up and – I think you know, we still see Washington's in well. Washington's going to be the second wild card. Yeah. There's no doubt about be, that. And and I think that's the aim for Florida: get to Washington because you know if you're looking at it on paper, they're not as fast as a, of a team. Um, they're, you know, if you can stay out of the box and not give them power plays, you should have an easy time. I mean, I don't want to say easy because it's the playoffs and anything can happen and you know, but and all that good stuff. I saw but. what happened in that series against the Bruins last year where they wilted fast in the bubble against the Islanders. They wilted fast. I mean, they have their cup. They're great, but we know what happens to the Capitals in the playoffs. And it sadly happened a couple of times in recent years. And I think the way the Panthers can play, they can demoralize them quick. Again, yeah. the Panthers I mean, pulled a comeback against Washington earlier in the season. 
they did it they're the type of they're the type of team that you want because it's a matchup where it's in your own hands you know they 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 don't have the skaters to real like they can play their style they shouldn't have to change their style for the first round matchup which is you know really nice for them uh it's you know it's out of your division a bit but you know if they don't give them power plays which is something completely in their control you know well not completely because of officiating but (laughs) um you know more than not it's in their control to not take penalties um they will win you know i don't think washington has the goalies It, it it's just perfect for them. If and... it happens, if it happens, and I, again, there's a chance. I, I, my whole thing for the Panthers was, like, when it was closer, you were going to have to beat a good team regardless, but you were starting to see how the, the wild card situation was going to shake out. You were just like, I don't want the Panthers to have to play somebody in the Atlantic that's really going to give them a hell. Now, if you're Carolina and you're looking at who that first wild card team is, you're like, oh my God, are we going to have to play that team in the first? Like, they could play Tampa in the first round, and that's an Eastern Conference final in the first round. And you're almost kind of like, right. you're the Penguins and Rangers. Like, I'd rather play them than have to play Tampa or Boston if it continues like this. So the Panthers, the fact is they're winning these games and not losing them. And that means for all of the issues with their defense and all those issues with, you know, the fact that they're playing like their hair's on fire every night, and it sometimes doesn't look like they're in their own control. They're still getting wins, which means they have built up a gap to the point where now it looks like they're going to avoid the worst-case scenario in the first Hopefully. round. Hopefully it looks like they avoid the, the worst-case scenario in the first round. The um, it the big question, obviously, is with goaltenders, and that's kind of where I think we should finish up with Florida. Just how are you feeling about the goaltenders with, uh, what are we 14 games left, 15 games, something like that. 12, I think. I think it's 12. So here's where I stand on on the goalies. It's so funny because we're coming off that game where Bobrovsky shut out the Blackhawks. It might have been his best game as a Panther. The Panthers were not good defensively in that game. Chicago had a lot of chances, and he was exceptional in that game. He was great. And then against the Devils, he was awful. Just terrible. The defense didn't help him, but he was terrible. Then against the Leafs. I mean, it snowballed quick. You know, one was a shorthanded breakaway. The Marner power play goal was one he absolutely can't give up. And the fourth was a defensive breakdown, and it was hit by that point. And then they I don't know. I don't know if you can – I mean, a goalie on a – first of all – He got like, beaten pretty Mar- bad on that breakaway, but it was – I mean, it's, it's a great move by Marner. I mean, I, I don't – like, when you have one of the top players in the league on a breakaway – they're allowed to beat, you know, like just because Bobrovsky got beat doesn't mean it no, was. No, I'm not blaming oh. him for that at all. It was the power play goal for Martin right. that I was a little bit more concerned. He didn't get over fast enough, closed off that angle. That looks like a right. shot he can stop. And the fourth yeah. goal was a total defensive breakdown. I mean, yeah, but I mean, Weger gave up, was responsible for more goals than any goalie, any of the four goalies in that game, which you're, is. You're absolutely right. But you know, I, so. And I think that's kind of where I'm with goalies is, listen, Bobrovsky is who he is. I mean, this team is who they are. I mean, they've shown themselves to be, over the course of the year, pretty consistent in that fact, at least. And, when you know, Bobrovsky... you who they are, believe them. Bobrovsky is a guy who he can tolerate, and he has the athletic ability to be the goalie for a team that plays like Florida does. 
However, the downside is, at times, he also doesn't necessarily have the psyche or he's a little more porous in bunches, uh, which can hurt when you're a team that plays like Florida. On the other side of the spectrum, you have Knight, who, again, has had the same issues Bob has had this year of getting caved in relatively quickly to start a period or a game. You getting, are correct about this one point, and I don't think it's being talked and, about enough, is how many early goals he gives up and right. how you tweeted, I think, in the, what was it, the Buffalo game, where you were, like, you were, doing, you were clapping when he didn't give up a goal in the first 10 minutes. You are absolutely yeah. right. And it happened again to Muzzin last and, week, too. And it's not... And it's not like all the goals are his fault, but, you know, at a certain point, it's just, like, the team identity. And, like, it, it becomes the goalie's habit. And, you know, that my, my main point is Knight, on, on the other side, you know, he has flaws, too. And those flaws can be just as fatal. And his highs are just as high as Bobrovsky's are, which means, you know... But the problem with the playoffs is you can't be juggling back and forth. We know this. We've known this with Philadelphia Flyers. We've known I mean, this with the Florida Panthers. Last year, how many times do we have to say that Quenville botched the goalie situation right. really badly? So, I mean, I think it's going to be Bobrovsky's going to get both home games. I think you have to. Yeah, and I agree and with then. That. And then it'll be up to Brunette and or the goalie department. But I think they know that when they go tonight, they're going tonight and they're going to have to probably figure out Bobrovsky in the offseason. It's going to get really uncomfortable. But, you know, that's something I think they're prepared to do, which is good. This is, the, you know, this everything for the cup this year. Once you get to the playoffs, that's what has to be done. Um, and you deal with everything in the offseason. Um, but I think, you know, this – I wanted a little more viable of a third string goalie than what they have just in case of injury. But, you know, you, you got two guys who can catch lightning in a bottle and when they catch lightning in a bottle, they can really go the distance and, and win. And, you know, you have Knight who's a little too green and you have Bobrovsky who's a little too old. Um, but, you know, the team, can outscore those problems I in the regular Greg season. I said Greg at the start of the season, I told him, I said, buddy, I'm not worried about the goaltending as much because I know this team can outscore its problems. I didn't realize it would be to this extent, now, but... Now, the thing is, you know, you still... I mean, my worry is they can, at times, outscore those problems. They, they have the offensive firepower... That inside of the game, if Bobrovsky gives up a bad goal, if Knight gives up an early goal, the problem they need to do, or what Bobrovsky and Knight need to really stop doing, is having the breakdowns where those one goal turns into three. Um, if they, can, you know, break it into two goals over a whole period instead of three and four, three minutes, yes. that would be a huge help. Yes, but some of that is on Brunette. I mean, there's such a thing as called called a timeout. Um, I was he has calling, not used them very often, you know, and I, I know cause you don't want to, you know, be without it for a challenge or whatever. I don't know if that's the rule anymore. It's or, a delay or, a game penalty. You don't lose your time out, yeah, but, it, but like, you know, are, it's like when it was so, like five so what's six the use? against New Jersey, I was wondering why he didn't call a timeout yeah. and pull the goal. He lets it, he lets it snowball. I mean, and, and that's, that's sort of an issue for me. Or and probably is an issue for the goalie's confidence as well, but you you know brunette can stop it, the team can stop it by, 
hey, we just gave up two quick goals. Let's not, let's, you know, not just throw the puck around again, you know, for a couple minutes. Let's, you know, get get the momentum, kill their momentum, bring it back down to a neutral playing field, look for an opportunity to turn it up and, you know, maybe make a stretch pass and just head to the races, score a goal and then pour it on. You know, those are perfectly fine things to say and think as the Florida Panthers and a timeout in 30 seconds is a really good time to say that to the team. And it also <laughs> gets them to point. slow down for a few yeah. minutes and not have to run yeah. the gun. I and, agree with you that I think it's going to be Bobrovsky that starts game one. And, and the reason why I, I, and I agree with you. And the reason why I think that is who do you think it would be easier to go back to if you needed to say for injury or otherwise, after you have already made a switch, I've talked about on this show from the start of the season to now that the biggest thing that Andrew Burnett's going to have to do is know when the moment's right to make a goalie change. Cause it's going to happen. And if it's the Florida Panthers, you know, it's going to happen because we've seen it and it's in well, the moment I, to, I, I, to make that decision. And now my thought is once that decision is inevitable, there's a difference between pulling somebody in relief because it's a blowout and you're trying to change momentum and stuff. It, it's different when you start the guy the next game. And that's, that's what I'm that's, talking. And that's yeah. what I'm talking about. And that's what I feel like in the middle of a game, right? Let's say it's game three in Capital One Arena. They've given up some bad goals and they pull Knight and or they pull Bobrovsky to get tonight in this scenario. Like at that point, you're going to, and it's whatever the series number is at that point, you're going to start hearing about the goaltending. That's going to be the number one topic of conversation. It might be the topic of conversation for Washington too, but in this example, but it's definitely going to be the topic of conversation for Florida. And then that's Andrew Burnett. Like, do I go back to Spencer Knight at that point? Do I put Bobrovsky back in? That was a blip. Here's the thing that I'm, I've just started to think about. Is it going to be easier in a scenario in which, say, the Panthers advance, they overcome the goalie issues? Is it easier to go from Bobrovsky to Knight and then back to Bobrovsky? Or is it easier to go from Knight to Bobrovsky back to Knight? I think it's the former. I once, think it's easier once, to go. It, let's say there's an injury or let's say Knight has an absolute meltdown in the game and you have to make the switch again at another point later in the playoffs. Is it easier to go back to Bobrovsky after you've started them and yanked them? Or is it easier to go tonight? I personally think it'll be easier to go back to Bobrovsky because I think at that point he knows he's been through those wars. Spencer Knight has not been in that in the playoffs. When he started, he started because the Panthers had no other choice. He had his one heater, and then, you know, the series was over by that point. Practically speaking, practically speaking, once you start Spencer Knight in a game, you, it's going to be hard to get a completely motivated and mentally strong Bobrovsky. I think that that's also part of it. I mean, so just be because, you know, he's the veteran. Knight. He's the guy that's got, you know, Vesna's on the trophy. He's played well this year. Yeah, he's, he has. You know, there's no reason for, you know, so, you know, he's going to want to be the guy this year, and he has every reason to be that guy. Spencer Knight, on the other hand, knows he's the second guy, is waiting for his turn, and is being a good teammate and is learning the game. Obviously, he's competitive and wants the crease, but if he doesn't get it, it's not going to deter him. It's not He's not going to get frustrated by it, or it's, he's not going to, you know, 
feel angst or you know so if you think they about start it. night in game one you've kind of yeah. wrecked Bobrovsky's confidence which I can definitely see an argument to I mean I'm not saying you're wrecking it but I'm just saying it's not going to be a hundred percent I mean okay. because he's a 10 million dollar goalie this is you know this is what they got him for 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 this I don't think you know last year was a situation where you know it was making let's see what we got. Now they know what they have. Bobrovsky's very confident in himself. He feels like he's finally healthy this year. I mean, in his mind, this is his year. So I, I think, you know, if he doesn't get to start, it's going to, it's, I, I don't want to say it, it would be, he'd become, it'd be like a problem or anything, but I just, I think it would probably be, it would not be the same Bobrovsky you would get starting starting I, that's and yeah. i definitely tend to agree with you on most matter we have been very synced up yeah. with Bobrovsky since he's come to florida and i tend to agree with you there that i think you got to start with Bobrovsky yeah. and ride it as far as you can yeah i mean and because and and i think you know the issue with night isn't so much it's it's like starting games. It's when he's not playing that much. So if if they go to him, he'll be fine. Bobrovsky's not a backup. So like if he's the backup and Knight's doing bad and they go to him, they're kind of also getting another wild card. Um, and I mean like that's just not his forte. That's not his thing. So I think that's another reason. Um, but you know again. Bobrovsky's, I think there's no reason to go to it because Knight is just as flawed as Bobrovsky, and there's no reason. I don't have any strong evidence to be like, oh yeah, for sure, he's better than he's a better option than Bobrovsky this year. Mm-hmm. Maybe next year, maybe the year after that, or you know, maybe sometime during the playoffs. But you know, not April sixth. <laughs> yeah, that that makes that that makes a ton of sense. So I think we've covered just about everything we can cover. With, with this incredible circus of a hockey team, but it's a fun circus, and listen. Yeah, speaking of the circus, where they head next, Philadelphia? Uh, well, yeah, do you want to? I mean, I guess, yeah. I, I think that, well, I also want to say just on a couple of awards-related things, um, I want to say, like, not awards, but I just want to say Hubert O'Genny to 100 points is awesome, good for him, man deserves it. You know, getting the assist yeah. record for a left winger. I didn't realize it was 70. That's preposterously low. Yeah, that's interesting. Wouldn't have expected that, but, you know, good for him. Like, all these players setting career highs is kind of crazy. And, again, they are going to average more than four goals a game. This is not supposed to happen in the modern NHL after, you know, what happened with uh, the Penguins in 95-96. We just haven't seen it since then. And it's, it's incredible what they're doing. Like, we should... I said it earlier this season, I'll say it again. You have to appreciate how ridiculous this team is because even if they're really good for years to come, you might never see a team this ridiculous again. And it is utterly ridiculous what they're doing. And I'm glad I think people are acknowledging it and embracing it. And I think it is kind of funny that, you know, we, we are seeing people kind of lose their minds over it because, like, you saw a number of tweets last night, like, oh, can you win 7-6 in the playoffs? And, again, legitimate concern. Like, I don't know if you can play seven, six games in the playoffs every night. But it is funny how we are seeing that debate. And if there's any team that could prove that wrong, it might actually be the Panthers. Because they have proven that they can overcome just about anything, even when it looks like this is the one that is going to bite them. And it's still not the one that's going to bite them. It's hilarious. I mean, 
I hope they can do it, but they shouldn't go into the playoffs expecting that's the only thing they have to do to get to the Stanley Cup. So. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, now, speaking of a circus, let's uh, let's talk about uh, your Philadelphia Flyers. I can't do a little. Yeah, they're, they're brutal. They they're are brutal. very brutal, and I think it is time to talk about why hockey's favorite whipping boy, not because we wanted to, but because we have to. Iron Man of all Iron Men until Phil Kessel becomes that Iron Man of all Iron Men, Keith Yandel. Uh, and it happens Saturday, and you were seeing the tweets, you were seeing the Yandel press conference, you were seeing Mike Yo's comments, and I knew there were some Panthers fans out there that were kind of grave dancing, and then they gave up a 6-2 lead and, to the Devils. And, and there was a lot of... Ranked. There's a lot of Panthers fans uh, also protesting. Yep. Um, still, still going to bat for Yando, which is, you know, their prerogative, of course. Totally fine for Not them. Not what we do here. Um, so I want to get into the – and we talked about this last year with the Iron Man streak. But here's what I recognized only after Yandel was scratched by the Flyers. I recognized, and it proves just how good that team last year was, the Panthers got bullied, essentially – into playing Keith Yandel, even though it was very obvious to Bill Zito and Joel Quenville and everyone there that they didn't want to play him. And they still finished with, what, the third best record in the league, even though Keith Yandel was playing every night? It was right. remarkable how good that team was, even though they had, you know, a demonstrably if, bad defenseman playing meaningful minutes every night. And if they weren't doing well enough, they would have not played him. Yeah. Like that, that the, the only the reason would have ended last year. Yeah. The streak, you know, so like that's like for the, so at, at a certain point, the flyers had, ha, are, are, weren't playing good enough to deal with it. They were playing bad enough where they had to start making tough decisions. Mm-hmm. And, and that part of that is because of Keith Yandel. Yes. And part of that was definitely because of Keith Yandel. And I appreciate last year's team even more now because for the Panthers, they played so well that we didn't talk about it. That is incredible. And maybe that's a testament to the dressing room the Panthers have. Because perhaps somebody said in there, and I'm sure these, these players who were on that team last year knew that Keith Yandel wasn't anywhere near what he was. They must have said, and another coded to the leadership talk we had before, the Florida Panthers played so well that the Keith Yandel problem wasn't a problem anymore. The Flyers had no ability to do that, and it eventually got to the point where they had to scratch him because, listen, the Flyers need to see what they have in some of these guys, right? Like, they need to see more of Cam York, who has potential. They need to see more of some of these guys from college. Y you know what you're getting with Keith Yandel. And there was this Mike Rupp thing that he posted on Twitter, and um, Elliot Freeman and Jeff Merrick talked about it on 32 Thoughts. Basically how – I don't want to – I'm not directly quoting him – but uh, he's kind of felt like the whole streak was being astroturfed. Like, Yandel's playing even though he's playing minimum minutes, and everyone knows he probably shouldn't be playing and wouldn't if it wasn't for this streak, right? And he was talking about it with Phil Kessel in the same way. And to an extent, I agree with that because, of course, they flew him out to Arizona. He played in one shift. They deliberately played with 11 the rest of the game, and they flew Kessel back out to Arizona when his partner was giving birth. So, yeah, right. they astroturfed but it too. But to be fair, Phil Kessel probably would have played the game anyway. He would have played, like... Like he would have played the whole game, the the team just did him a favor. Yeah. So he didn't have to. And I think that what is interesting with with Yandel is, when the Flyers signed him, they knew that this was going to be a thing. Like they knew they were going to have to play him. 
they knew that he was going to have to be a part of their top six, and they also knew, because the Flyers have an analytics staff, whatever influence they have on Chuck Flesher is what it is, but they knew that Keith Yandel is not the Keith Yandel that he was. Everyone knows that. They were clearly not good enough to hide any of it. And Keith Yandel was obviously a huge reason why the Flyers were bad this year. Not the only reason, but a huge reason. And so once it got to the point where he had to be scratched and everybody's like, oh, get him to a thousand games. That's 11 games. That so the you get, we got to do something. With... And that's the thing. Like, it's like the Flyers said Elaine Vigneault was the coach and he's and Hayes basically brought Yandel to the front office of the Flyers saying, Hey, can you, can we sign him? Can we, can we bring him in and get him to his streak? And they said, yes. And then they got him to the streak and then it became, Hey, can we get him to a thousand games as he's playing worse and worse and worse? And there's more and more reason not to play him. Like you said, Ronnie Attard, um, you know, the uh, Cam York, um, the Cam York. Um, the but, Cam York. So uh, you he didn't know, even go to Ohio State. Uh, he went to the opposite of Ohio State. That is um, correct. So he, you know, like, again, there's just, like, yeah, he could have he could have played. They could have sat next sealer. They could have played 7D and done 11 forwards if they really wanted to he could have played it's conceivable they could have done it they could have papered it yes but at the same time there is such an appetite from the flyers fans for them to start identifying what they want the team to be start doing the right things and one of those things is playing the players who are playing hard and being entertaining and that the fans they want hope they you know just can we want hope yeah exactly that yes that's the, that's the best word i was looking for but you know they, they want nick sealer playing they want to see cam york they want to see these college guys like ronnie atard and you know hodgkins hodgkins or whatever that they sign i think yes you know like they want to see these guys and that's the reason they're going to buy tickets everybody's done and over with Yandel and, and, and all of that. The, you know, the only people that aren't are such a small subset of the team and they're, they'll still, they'll buy tickets or they won't buy tickets. And it's funny enough that some of those people who are part of that subset are in the dressing room. But how, how can you, I mean, and this will get be my next point with Kevin Hayes, as you mentioned, but how can you tell these guys, you know, that you're bringing in, that the Flyers, the Broad Street way is is this, that, or the other thing. And then they see Yandel stop moving his feet on a dumping to let the opposition get the puck uh, so he doesn't have to get hit. You know? Like, you know, or they're partnered with him, right? And they have to go out and play with Keith Yandel as Keith Yandel's making them go get the puck and get creamed every time. Or, you know, and it's just... You have to start walking the walk, and they should have done it earlier. And the fact that they didn't do it earlier isn't reason that they should just let it continue to happen so you can get to a 1,000 games. As somebody mentioned, all of these Ironman streaks ended because of healthy scratches. It ended with Doug Jarvis. Um, there yep. was mentioned previous that this is how these end. Unger. 
Yep, you're correct. And and and, and for most of them, when it ended, that was their career. I oh, I think Keith Yandel's career is done in the yeah. NHL. I think he's going to be great on TV. He actually has oh, a good for TV. Again, you don't have to watch him. I I turn the TV <laughs> off when Paul Bissonette comes up on TNT. I do the same thing. Uh, but like, he he could be around the game. He's clearly got the personality. He he's, you know, again, we've seen it with what happens in these dressing rooms. But the Flyers needed to do this. They had to. They had no choice. They need to start thinking about the future, and Keith Yandel is not the future of the Flyers. He's, he was the past when he was playing for them. He yeah. needs to be, and they need to think about the future. And the Flyers have really botched the idea that you can sell hope to your fan base. The fans will be willing to give you that. I think about Montreal, right? And I think about how quickly the worm turned when the, all the bad management left. And now they have reasons to be hopeful. And I see it because I've interacted with some Habs fans. That's what the Flyers could do if they wanted to. They don't seem to want to. And even if scratching Keith Yandel is a tiny, tiny, tiny way of showing Flyers fans this is what the future might be like, they got to do it. You need to give these fans a reason to think that they could be good in the future. Playing Keith Yandel is absolutely the antithesis of that. I want to bring up a couple other points. Here well, okay, I just want to I just want to yes, bring up one on. point of I think, I mean I I've always been of this bent, but I think more and more as the season's gone on, I mean, I I think it's time to send Kevin Hayes to Boston or you know some, you know a team that'll be willing to to have him for four years and finish out the contract because, you know he's going to want to be the new captain. No way. Absolutely not. Somebody who's going to go up there publicly and say, "I want Keith Yandel to line up. I want to just make. I just want. I care more about his personal achievement than what this team's trying to do to win a cup in the future." I don't think you can be a captain. And you know, I'm just so tired of these ex-Rangers burnouts that weren't good enough for the Rangers. And as soon as they left the Rangers, they started turning it around. Um, and that's without their first overall and their second overall pick really being that good. So don't say it was just the draft picks. But, uh, that's, uh, that is, you a, know, Chris Kreider having a million power play goals is uh yeah, that, that is a thing. You know, the one thing I want to mention um, just from Charlie O'Connor of the athletic. And uh, he made a couple of interesting points. One's a Yandel point, And he, and he said, I'm going to read his tweet. Because uh, it was from Saturday. Talking about Yandel benching is something that requires too much nuance to bother trying to articulate my full thoughts on Twitter. In short, I get why Hayes and a lot of the team, I suspect, strongly disagree with this decision, but I don't think it was wrong. He put that in quotes. It would have been nice to see Yandel keep extending his streak. Great guy. And these games are basically meaningless anyway now. But the hard truth is the Flyers could have easily justified sitting Yandel and Merrick going back as far as five months. They held off a really long time. And he's exactly right. And it comes back to the point that we made off the top of this discussion, which was, Yandel kept his streak going last year, even though it shouldn't have, because the Panthers were so good that they hit it. They and they gave... were so good collectively in their room and on the ice that Yandel being unplayably bad was not a factor. And when it became a factor in the playoffs, they scratched him immediately. And we called that too. Now with the Flyers, that team was unspeakably bad, and everyone knew it, and Yandel was a part of it, and it got to the point where the Flyers, even themselves, had to admit, we can't keep doing this anymore. It's not helping us in the future. And even the always thinking about the present Flyers had to eventually start thinking about the future. And once they started thinking about the future, 
That was the end for Keith. I they get they Keith waited till the last moment. They waited. So like Phil Kessel is going to have to go out, get a contract and go back and play next year to try to beat the streak. That's the best Philadelphia could have done. Like, and, Hey, and we got you honest. to the, we got you to the amount of games where now you're putting pressure on Phil Kessel to keep it going. And, you know, you know, we waited till literally we had to sign this kid uh, and, you know, after the after the trade deadline, well, even after Giroux, you know, like they waited as long as physically possible, which, again, you know, a lot of people are just saying it's classless and disgusting by Philadelphia and all this stuff. But like if you really look at it, Philadelphia really, you know, tried to do as best as they could by Keith Andrew. But the end of the thing was the only thing that they stopped short of doing which was just giving him his way just letting him run the t- who plays and who doesn't play which is you know i think the the only dignity the club has left to be honest with you well, after all that's happened in the last two years and i i'm sure other flyers fans agree with you and i also find it really funny that charlie tweeted last night i'm enjoying watching the flyers fan base come to realize that uh the panthers are fun I think you already knew that. I mean, we're we're yeah. a different breed here, but like, I think Flyers fans have actually are maybe vicariously living through the Panthers a little bit now, which is really kind of funny. And yeah. I hope you stay. I hope you stick around because again, they can win the cup and there's, they're fun. There's a lot of crossover. I mean, that's one of the reasons I like this core and everything. Like Schuberto is a Philadelphia Flyers player. Like he plays the way that. Philadelphia, like, you know, Barry Ashby, you know, Bobby Clark, the guys with the names on the banners, like, those those are the guys that Huberto plays like. He brings it. Same with Barkov. Like, Barkov and Bobby Clark would get along real well. I mean, Barkov's nice, and, and Clark was a little mean on the ice, but other than that, I mean, they, they were just hell of a number six teams. And, you know... Ekblad would get along really well. Uyghur would be a huge fan favorite in Philadelphia. I mean, there's a lot of lunch pail, you know, type of guys. Um, and, yeah. I can't imagine what it would be like watching the reaction in Philadelphia if you just transposed this exact Panthers team and you threw it in Philly. Like, would they get the love? Be, they, it'd, it'd be nuts. It'd love. be absolutely nuts. I mean, you, you're talking about, you know, like – like imagine oh, what Lomberg Florida does for Lomberg. A love affection. Oh my God. Lomberg. You see so many Lomberg flyers. I mean, it would be not, he'd be advertising every single Gary Barbera would have him as their mascot in five seconds. That's a car dealer in Philly. If you don't know South Philadelphia, like the Phillyest of Philly car dealers. Yeah. He'd be, he'd be on, you know, every Models ad he'd be used to advertise cheesesteaks the whole lot. Yeah. And I mean, we've Gudis has already been a huge fan favorite in Philadelphia and you know Hog ha wasn't that dis I mean he was disliked towards the end but you know there was a lot of people that still stuck up for him because they liked him and the way he plays um he was a big fan of friend of Oscar Lindblom so that was um always a reason for the Flyers fans to stick up for him um you know there's I don't know I, I feel like this is the perfect team for Giroux because it is a team like Philadelphia. Um, you know, <laughs> the big difference is they're good and they're quick. They're not slow and bad. Yeah, true. 
True. I want to get a couple other hockey things in uh, before we leave. We are recording this on a day where hockey truly proved that it is very much still itself. Uh, we have a AHL suspension, a suspension. Ben Holmstrom scored eight games suspension for using homophobic language against the Utica uh, Comets. Called games for the Utica Comets as an openly gay announcer. Good work, everybody in hockey. You really continue to impress me each and every day. That was a great, great thing to wake up to. And then we have the suspension of the Niagara Ice Dogs owner slash GM and coach for using offensive language towards women. And I'm just going to make that was a family affair right there. Yes, it was. And hockey is always a family affair, even at its absolute worst. And I'm just going to keep saying it because it's poignant, but it's also the truth. This is what hockey's always been. We are just now paying attention to it now and we see it. This has always been happening. Yeah, and and the the best, the only thing we can do is try not to be so like cynical uh, about it, or like, you know, to the point of like, oh, this always happens, you know, just like, all right, let's keep rooting, let's keep finding these guys, let's keep kicking them out, and just keep that sort of like, let's just keep getting at it mentality when when we hear this there news. There are a couple of stories that I have seen. Uh, one of them was from the coach of former coach of current coach, excuse me, of UC Irvine, who had. You know, used homophobic comments at one point in like motivational tactics and everybody found out about it and they got mad. But there's a great piece written by the uh, somebody in the New York Times who I forget the author was and I'm, I apologize for that. But it, it basically how he had to learn how and why his language was bad and yeah. how he needed to overcome that and how much work you have to put in to do that. And I've also seen it with Tom Brenneman. I know the Nick Castellanos thing is a meme, and now he's a flyer. So every uh, now he's a flyer. Excuse me, he's a Philly. <laughs> so every time he hits a home run, somebody famous is going to die, or something really terrible is going to happen in baseball. You know that's going to happen in Philly in that ballpark. Jesus, the ball flies out every five seconds. So you know, like the Tom Brenneman thing is a meme, but Tom Brenneman has actually put in some of the legwork to learn about why his comments really were hurtful and how he has to understand coming from not just his you know worldview but from the worldview of others who genuinely feel it those are the things that people in hockey have to be willing to do and if you're not willing to do it then i'm not willing to give you a second chance but if you are and you prove it with your actions and not just saying it there are people out there like me like my friend brock mcgillis who would be very willing to help and we'd be very willing to push you forward in the in a better direction. We're not doing this because we hate the sport. We're doing it because we want this sport to be better. It's got to be willing to, you know, to change and to evolve and adapt. And these people have to be willing to do that. And, yes, I understand that there's are deeply seated cultural issues in the sport of hockey. They don't have to be. We can get them to change. And suspensions are one way of doing it but it's got to be followed up with actual teachable moments and learning and being willing to learn and And these people have to be willing to learn and until they are i'm not willing to give second chances but if you're willing to learn and you're willing to change i'd be absolutely willing to help in that path and i think a lot of other people would be willing to do the same yeah and and a lot of it is just unlearning too not even just learning new things but unlearning like he said it's hard you know it's hard but you got to be willing to take the risk and if you're not willing to take the risk and take the plunge then you don't deserve the second chance but earning a second chance is not a given it is hard and if you're willing to put in the hard work and the hours we'd be willing to help but you got to be willing and you got to show it and 
I point I point this out because it's going to be interesting on Saturday with the Edmonton Oil Kings doing a Pride Day with an openly gay player on it. Like, I don't like Pride Nights. I've said that. I think they're not particularly helpful because it's just saying you're doing something rather than actually doing it. But, again, I'm willing to give this sport the chance to change and the chance to grow and evolve. You've got to be willing to take that chance you don't just get to have it because we give out second chances like candy. We don't do that. I don't do that. I can be cynical and mean and say all of these people should be out of hockey for good, but if I said that, then the entire sport of hockey would be gone and we wouldn't have people in hockey because everyone's done this. You got to be willing to learn. You got to be willing well, to change. And then also, if they're not in hockey, they're going to be somewhere else because they're going to be doing something to make money. So, you know, and at a certain point, these people, you need to correct their, their behavior because they're going to be somewhere with that behavior. Mm -hmm. And you can't it, just say, Oh, it's out of my world. You know, it's, you it know, is, it's just it bar them from our world. It's sad, but we can, you can make it happen again. I think some of it also comes down to the fact is, that a lot of these people, because they're involved in hockey, and hockey is such an insular world, they haven't experienced being with a gay player. And again, like unless you've played for the Calgary Hitmen and the Edmonton Oil Kings, you don't know what that's like. Because you have not played with a gay player. You don't see this on a daily basis. And the one thing that has helped, I think, with what you see, I mean, I don't think Luke is going to talk about if things have happened behind the scenes and throw people under the bus. I don't think that's what he would do. I also have no genuine reason to believe that he's lying when he says he hasn't heard stuff. Now, whether it's happened behind the scenes or not, I can't comment. I can say that I've heard things that would lead me to believe otherwise, as Kareem Benzema just scores a hat trick in a hilarious way because Chelsea completely melted down, and that is glorious. Oh, glory top, top stuff right there. That was hilarious. What a great goal given up by Chelsea. Beautiful. And now you might be owned by the Ricketts family. Things are going great in that part of London, and they deserve it. Anyway, sorry for that non sequitur. But the point is, I think the fact that with Luke, it's the fact that he's there and he's open that is ensuring that the people around him experience something directly that in these situations with the Niagara Ice Dogs, with the, um, with the Rochester Americans, they have not directly learned that yet because they haven't had that genuine experience where you're right there, you're seeing it. And that's very important. And it's going to take people coming out in the sport, and that's hard to do, obviously, because the sport is very difficult, you know, a place to come out. But that's what I hope we see. And it, it, it's, again, this is what hockey's been. It does not have to be what hockey always will be. That's my point on that. Um, are you interested? Uh, just a couple of the topics briefly. Are you interested in the Frozen Four? I might watch a little of that tomorrow. Yeah, I'll watch. I'll definitely watch it. Uh, I haven't really watched any of it up till now. Um I college is just a weird sometimes it's better to watch live for sure if you can go to a college hockey game definitely do it I have been um, to two in my life both of them were Cornell games at Madison Square Garden those were pretty fun yeah but it and I mean when I sit down to watch college hockey it's usually women's college hockey and then this is I fair. go to men's and women's live um but yeah, I, I mean there are, there are I, a couple. I mean, obviously the Frozen have, Four uh, obviously is, is always have, good uh, in you Michigan. You have a couple, Panther, a couple Panthers prospects in the uh, in the Frozen Four. 
Yeah, yeah, the ones we haven't traded yet, I guess. Um, True. Uh, one of them, I don't know if people, I don't know if people want Benning, but um, Samuskevich is somehow still a Panther, so. Yeah, I think people would want want Benning, but uh, I, I don't. I, at this point it, in his career, it's more they would need to get a pretty much a guarantee that he's about to sign a contract before trading for him. I guess so. You know? Yeah. Uh, that's that's one of the reasons I'm not a big fan of the NCA. Like drafting guys who go there is like it kind of puts you on a limit of when you sign them, and then when you sign them, it's usually at the end of the year after trade deadlines, and then they want to play. I... They want to play right away, and then burn a year of their contract. And sometimes if you sign them to like if you sign them their senior year, sometimes it's only like a two year deal, or you know if they're undrafted, it's a two year deal, and Back you know said, so. You know, you it's know, you're pretty much, last year. Yep, yep. you know, so like it's, I'd much rather do the Europe, the, the Europe where they can play forever, where they can play juniors. They can play different levels of pro hockey. They can come over and play the AHL when it's a good time for them and then come up to the pro pro league. But um, yeah, Minnesota uh, state, I think is in it and they have some pretty cool unis and, and colors and it's good to see a different Minnesota there. Uh, Michigan, I'm hoping loses again, <laughs> just because I think it's funny that they're such a powerhouse. But uh, this is like the third or fourth year being a powerhouse where they haven't really materialized anything so far. Uh, so let's see what they can do. Uh, and um, yeah, I guess go Denver because I've always liked Denver. Um, oh, the Henrik Borgstrom School. Yeah, yeah. Henrik Borgstrom School. That's that's obviously pretty cool. Um, even though Henry Borgstrom has really not worked out, and that makes me very sad, but that's what mismanagement can do sometimes to you. Uh, is there anything I else? think of it as Matt Carl, and, well, now David Carl's the coach, but... That's that's a good point. Matt Carl, I haven't heard of... I haven't thought of Matt Carl in a while. Obi Baker winner, Matt Carl. He had, a couple uh, about... of, he had a couple of years where he was, like, the perfect partner for, at that point, Pronger. Chris Pronger. Uh, how about how about uh, Ryan Getzloff retiring? Great career, won a cup. We're gonna yeah. have the Hall of Fame debate, but he's a, that 2003 draft class is still trucking on with some guys. But uh, to me, Getzloff decided to not be the the mercenary Corey Perry became. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I wonder if there's. Uh, he I said thought he's he family related. Yeah, that's that's fair. I mean, obviously, as I'm kind of getting closer to that age, it, it all kind of makes sense that you know guys who who seem satisfied with their playing careers and have satisfied financial, uh, you know, bank accounts that, you know, it's fine to walk away. And I'm sure in a couple of years, we'll be back doing like assistant GMing for the ducks. Uh, you know, there's some guys that just want to be that one franchise, uh, guy. And to me, that's, that's cool. That's special. Um, but I also sometimes think with guys like Getzlav, there was some left in the tank. He could have provided a team Ooh, like he Boston. He could have provided. Oh, absolutely. You know, I like think if Getzlav he is retiring, and he, yeah. he and you look at some of those player cards and start like in in a lesser like Joe Thornton type role for another team, he easily could have done yeah. it. Yeah, but I, I mean, I'm not saying is, for years, but I think he still had a oh, one more a, year, two more years, maybe. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, um, but, he, he's he he is he was a great, yeah, obviously a great player. And I think like one of the things that was really funny is they said, oh, he was second in the Hart Trophy voting in 2014. He had like 83 points. I was like, what? I I mean, I remember watching that vividly that season. I would we were full on into this at that point, and I just go like, okay, this season is either the new norm or it's really really busted compared to everything else. Well, yeah, I mean, remember when Jamie Ben won the scoring title with like eighty nine points? 
Yeah, there, there was. I mean, you have to remember at a certain point of time, there was probably 15 like franchise goalies in the prime of their career. Where, I mean, you look around, how many real true franchise goalies are there? Guys uh, that, you know, you would like, boy. you would, you would, you know, sacrifice some skaters to keep the goalie. You know, th- there's a couple of them and they're all seem to be young and Russian. Um, but other than that, I mean, and Spencer Knight, I guess now, hopefully. Um, we're but, almost at the point where we're saying that maybe about Swayman, he's got that potential in the maybe, future. I mean, yeah, but franchise goalie. I mean, we're talking like, you know, we had Luongo, we had Pekka Rene, Luongo. Yeah. I mean, Tim Ender Thomas Brodor, threw up some big numbers with Tuka Rask. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that was still Mika Kippersoft for a little bit. Jonathan uh, Quick at his peak. Yeah, when he um, won when he won the cup. I and mean, not to mention John Sebastian Jaguer, who's a Conn Smythe winner, um, and under very underrated. Angry about that one. Yeah. yeah, I mean, but you're right. Like we went through an area of just insane goaltending. Maybe we're getting back into it. It's just that all these really good goalies are now kind of young. You know, yeah, being the but, first round goalies. Return. I mean, we got to a point where it seemed like. At, you know, after those goalies kind of cleared out, it was like all these goalies are kind of the same. And you had a bunch of Reimer-esque goalies around the league for a couple of years. And I think you're still kind of seeing seeing that. I think somebody pointed out that this year, because of COVID, because of the condensed nature of the last two, like the bubble and last year, that weird fluky season with only in-division play, and now this year we had another COVID pause. Players got COVID. They might be tired. There's a lot of press. Like, I would like, and I think maybe some of the really smart analytics people are going to go into, you know, detail on this in the offseason. Like, is this a fluke or is this something we're actually going to continue to see and we're really opening up on offense? I think we are. I mean, I, I think, you know, philosophically teams are getting that way. I mean, if you look at across the board, what counts as a goon fourth line now five years ago would be in would be a pretty decent fourth line you know like the the standards have really shifted to having d who can skate and and put in points having you know three maybe four lines who can who you know can at least handle pucks and maybe make some deeks and and do some things like that first guys who could barely pass a puck and we're talking like mid you know second george bush term there's guys who could barely handle the puck in the oh NHL. even if you go back eight years you look at the yeah. way that things are and you're like wait how are these yeah. people in the league like yeah no that has definitely changed so i think i think you know now that we're seeing that and they're finally kind of got the goal, goalie gear a bit more curtailed and they're kind of and now they're actually enforcing those those curtailed rules a bit more um you're you're seeing that and you're also seeing a with the advent of analytics, with the advent of more voices getting entering hockey, I mean, it's obviously it's not ideal, but there is more diversity of voice and, and ideas, at least in hockey these days. And that's led to, you know, teams aren't getting, you know, coached out of playing a certain way that would lead to more goals or, or, you know, lead to a hundred points. And, you know, you used to never just load up first lines, you know, in, you know, at least in my memory, it was always kind of like to see a lot of these lines where like they just Crosby and Malkin just go out together. That was kind of, 
um, you know, not heard of. Well, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that's a stupid talking point. Well, then I'm thinking about it more and more. There's something to but, be right. I mean, like, yeah, there's teams that had, like, good lines and everything. And, you know, there was some strong teams and stuff. But, you know, I think now it's kind of like you get these top-end players and you play them together. You're not you're not, you're not having – like, Keith Jones played on the first line with Eric Lindros for a very long time. Uh, okay, you one know? other thing I wanted to bring up <laughs> – I did, yeah, boy, yeah, you're so, like, right. you, like, Keith Jones, yeah, you wanna, yeah. you wanna, I, I want to bring up one other thing. We're already running very long on this show, but I, I do want to mention it. It's the Tyson Nash thing. And my point on, on what Tyson Nash said, I'm glad it was not about Trevor Zegers and the lacrosse goal, but it does bring a point to – how I think about hockey broadcasting and where our analysts come from. And it's very important, I think, that we remember this. When you have stars in other sports and they go into broadcasting, you see that more frequently in the NFL. You see that in the NBA. Not as much in baseball, and they have a similar kind of issue. In hockey, our stars don't usually go into broadcasting when they're done. They have other things to do, and they already have all the money. They don't need to go into broadcasting. Now, it's changed a little bit now that Wayne Gretzky's on TNT and Mark Messi and Chris Chelios are the it, lead ones in on In hockey, ESPN. the personalities have always been the guys the because they're the guys you bring around for the personality, so they better be funny. They better be well-liked. You know, but they better be able to— means when it comes to broadcasting is, and I'm not saying that this is a blanket thing because it's not, but what that means is, in a situation like Jay Beagle hacking away at Troy Terry for no apparent reason, you get fourth-line mindsets coming from people like Tyson Nash, because that's what they identify with. They were not Troy Terry in their career, they were Jay Beagle. And for that reason, you have what you saw with Tyson Nash. And I'm not saying that he's a bad analyst, I'm saying that this is where that thought process comes from. He saw himself in Jay Beagle's shoes, not Troy Terry's I'll, shoes. I'll say this about the situation. Um, and, and I think that a lot of what Tyson Nash and a lot of the whole conversation around this is just about bad narrative. Um, we saw it when Nate McKinnon fought Dumba and he was hurt. People jumped on it because Bednar answered a question saying, it is possible that it happened in the fight. Oh, Nate McKinnon hurt his hand in the fight when it was just labeled upper body. He, he He's going to be out. For a couple games, what a stupid thing, blah, 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 just running with it and turning it into it. Is fighting good? Should star players fight narrative conversation? When it, oh, and, then, and I think the table And then he played the next night. Of what we saw, you know, like, oh, we've got to protect these kids. And this is Tamu Solani, who is obviously beloved and one of, you know, yeah. the greatest and, and, hockey players of all time saying that. That's a lot of people looking into it. When I watched it, I knew immediately what it was. It was... Um... The guy snowed the goalie. So what he so what is what does Beagle do? He cross checks him. Well, the guy gets cross checked from behind. What does he do? He gets up and pushes back. And this is, you know, it's kind of a blowout game. It's getting testy, and you're in a pushing match. And what does a guy like Jay Beagle do? He gets paid to not lose. He gets paid to be the guy who pushes last. Yeah. Th that's what happened. It has nothing to do with showboating or the Michigan goal or these kids showing them up or old man on a porch and, and, or, you know, all of this, it was the, he, he, he intentionally snowed the goalie. You, you can't deny that. And, and that, I don't think that's cheap or whatever, or that's bad play or he deserves to get anything. The cross check wasn't really that bad. It was just to the right spot because Jay Beagle's paid to know what he's doing. And, you know, 
the guy wasn't expecting it from behind, so he's off balance and falls really easily. And he's, he's perturbed by that. So he gets up and acts on it. I mean, it's the same stuff that leads to all these stupid scrums of, oh, you know, like you pushed me, I pushed you back, and now you face wash me, I face wash you back. And, you know, it's just a bunch of six guys doing like, you know, kind of fading from the corner behind the net, like punching each other, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, it's that stuff happens all the time. Just because it happened in the same game or because Tortorella said something or because Nash said something or, you know, because certain people assign certain perceptions or assume certain things doesn't mean that's what it's really about. And I mean, at the end of the day, when you snow a goal, you get cross-checked. That's just kind of like it, it. No one's ever really had an issue with it. No one's been like, oh, that we got to get this out of the game or anything like that. So I, I don't know. But because it happened in a game with a lacrosse goal. Yeah, and with where it was already getting chippy, and because the announcer assumed that's what it was about, that's how everybody read the situation mm. and just, you know. Here's my point on announcers. I just want to finish it off. And wh- and I'm not saying that this is necessarily the case with all <laughs> announcers coming from that background, right? But it certainly happened with, with Tyson Nash. And again, both of the Panthers color guys were not exactly skill players in their career. The TV color guy is very famous for not being a skill guy in his career. So, he's famous for being barely a guy. He's, fa- in he, he's, he's famous because he, he had very funny goal calls when he did the game on radio. And he says some funny things uh, after goals go in. Now, also Bill Lindsay, of course, wasn't exactly the most skilled player in the world. But again, Bill Lindsay's a great a analyst. Bit, a bit better than Randy. Oh, yes, sure. a bit better than Randy Moeller. But, you know, I mean, but for I'm thinking sure. about, you know, Rob Ray and Jody Shelley and guys like yeah. that. Like, it is that mindset that you kind of, you know, in a league where skill is becoming, obviously it was always valued, but is now like a premium is placed on Trevor Zegers type skill and we're highlighting it more. Are we going to see a bit of a dissonance between, you know, who is doing color and who is in studio on NHL broadcasts and, you know, who the stars of the game are? Is there a little dissonance? It's possible. Now, I don't think many broadcasters would do what Tyson Nash did, maybe unless you work for certain teams. But, you know, that's because, you know, those broadcasts are pastiches at this point, right? And you're, you're supposed to, when you're working for a team, you're going to sell it for your team, right? You broadcast yeah. it for a certain audience. But... Like, that's just how I viewed it of Tyson Nash is a fourth-line guy. He sees himself as a fourth-line guy, you know, and he sees Jay Beagle in that role. He sees himself, and therefore he's going to analyze the game from that perspective, even though Tyson yeah. Nash talks all the time in broadcasts about skill and things of that nature, yeah. even and, and, Coyotes. And, and I think Jay Beagle is a far cry from what Tyson Nash was as a player because you have to remember the people in the box are – two to three generations out of the current guys in the NHL. So what's happening in the NHL is is so far removed from their thought process. Uh, unless you're talking about guys like, you know, JT Brown who played it, recently. Yeah, it, it'd be like literally if they got guys who played Tetris to comment on esports, that's what it'd be like. It kind of feels like that. In some, now, that does not mean all of them are like that. <laughs> no, no. But, but I mean, like, the guys who, who are like, back in my day, we had Frogger. We had Frogger. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> we had Frogger and Duck Hunt. <laughs> I mean, you, again, you're, you're, you're definitely not entirely the, wrong the here, joy but. The joystick stuck going up and going down. 
what 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 do you mean? What is this? You know, what is this this uh this uh yeah. Minecraft stuff? I remember playing Super Mario sixty four. Actually, that might you be you got to protect your high score. Bang yeah. bodies. Golden I double O's. No, I'm kidding. But I, I'm just saying, like that's where we see it in hockey now. I don't yeah. think most analysts think like that. If that's the background they come from, it's it's not necessarily true. I mean, the idea right. that again, but again, Keith Jones is one of the lead analysts for TNT. You know, it's a little different now that, you know, Ray Ferraro is the lead color guy for ESPN. Ray Ferraro scored a bunch of goals in his career and really does appreciate skill. But, like, that's who, again, the number one color analyst for years on ESPN was Bill Clement. This is just what hockey has been, you know, and it's a little different now. And maybe it'll be even more different when some of these players end up leaving the game, this current generation, and get into broadcasting, like, if what if Keith Yandel's getting into broadcasting, he's not going to see that situation the same way that Tyson Nash did for sure, or PK Subban or somebody like that. But yeah, that's I, just how I viewed it. That's yeah, and I think in, I in that, that situation, Keith Keith Yandel will be like, yeah, that's just uh, snowing the goalie, cross check, and a scrum gone bad. You he, know, he would he he would he would say, and again, I think that that's just that's part of how we view these situations. And and, and, and here's the thing. And, and you, the only thing you could say is you could invoke the code of, you shouldn't beat up a star player like that unwillingly, but it, it's not like Jay Beagle is a good Jay Beagle is, I don't even know his size, but he's Jay not. Beagle a, is, Jay Beagle's not exactly the, I don't even know how in the past. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't even know if he Again, has who is the, a penalty. Like minute, we think, like. we think about the te- the players that are fighting in the league right now. Like, if you look at Nashville, who has like the most fighting majors in the league, these guys can still play. Like, they're good hockey players and they're scoring goals. Like, the Jay guy Beagles. who on the Panthers would fight the most is Ryan Lomberg, and Ryan Lomberg's on a heater at the moment. So, you know, Jay Beagle has never had more than never had forty penalty minutes in a year. Wow. That's I mean, one. I mean, not in the NHL. He had 41 in the AHL, and it looks like in AJHL back for Calgary Royals, he had 100 and 114. But that's, I mean, that's a that's minor junior circuit in Canada. That's that's a circus. Oh um, yeah. So, so there you go. I think we've touched on everything we could possibly touch on in this show. Yeah, touching on Jay Beagle's junior, J- minor junior. junior That's the sign we got to get this off. He played of eight world. games for the Idaho Steelheads. Ah, that's another team from the blast from the past. Did he yeah. play for the Omaha Oxar Ben Knights, one of the greatest team names in nope, all of sports? But uh, he did get a hyphen in there for Alaska Anchorage. Ah, that you know, Alaska Anchorage. It's good. All right. I, I can give you a hyphen. We can give you a hyphen. You can't give me three hyphens. Anyway, thanks again for listening to this ridiculous show coming after a ridiculous stretch of Panthers hockey. Uh, I predict there will be more ridiculousness to come. A lot more ridiculousness yeah. to come. And that's even before the playoffs. Stay yeah. tuned thanks, for that. Thanks, Toronto. Really appreciate it. Thanks for... You made, uh, lives, you made our lives even more interesting than they already were. Yeah. yeah. Keeping it up for it. Thanks again. And good night for good hockey.